my name is Dr. Julie Bridges, and I'm currently in Black American Expat in Shenzhen, China. And this podcast is when I will talk to you Hello, everyone, and welcome to Melanated Stamps. My name is Dr. Janaya Perdue, and I am so excited because I have an amazing guest. Um, she is an author, and she is a um, thriver in life, and I can't wait to be able for to share and showcase her story today. So, welcome. Can you share with the people who you are? Hi there. Uh, you know, first of all, I want to let you know how happy I am to be here today. Uh, my name is Jackie Abram. I'm the author of a book called Hush Money, How One Woman Proved Systemic Racism in Her Workplace and Kept Her Job. Oh, yes. You know, I am currently an expat in China, and I left because um, being black in, in America is hard. And I just basically moved from one type of racism to another. Um, but um, listening to people's stories helps for us to really quantify or to um, add depth to statistics and things that we see every day. So I'm so grateful that you are vulnerable enough to share your story um, with what happened to you. So let's dig in. Um, let's start at the beginning, I suppose. I'm not really sure. Like, how? what happened? Well, you know, Jenea, you know, first of all, uh, I want to let you know and your listeners know that there is an eerie similarity between how racist police kill us in our communities. And, you know, we saw that with George Floyd and, and so many others and how racist managers kill our careers in the workplace. Mm. And so for me personally, 
Before I began my journey as an anti-racism consultant and an author, I earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Business Administration and Management, and I had a lucrative career in higher education that I was very good at, Jenea, and that I enjoyed. Uh, it was a career that paid me a high enough salary, which, you know, as a single mother of two girls was the only salary, to... Mm not only provide a comfortable lifestyle for my family, but to also pay my bills. And it was a career that by any measure should have been a successful career. But it wasn't Jenea. 52 years old, the last time my career was derailed. And so traumatized by my experiences that uh, it's not an understatement when I tell you that it nearly destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year, when my two girls, who are now all grown up and, you know, they have uh, families and careers of their own, when they started experiencing that same horrific racism that I experienced, and I watched my girls suffering the same fate, you know, that's when the, the light bulb turned on for me. And, you know, I thought at first as I was going through these horrific sequences that maybe maybe it was me. Maybe there was something I was doing that was causing these people to, to constantly and repeatedly come at me the way that they were. Mm-hmm. But the light bulb turned on when my kids started going through it. And so... That's when I started reaching out to other black people and other people of color and just seeing, you know, is this something that's isolated to me in my career and my kids or is this more widespread? And Jenea, oh my gosh, the stories that I heard from people with the lowest jobs on the totem pole all the way up to the highest were just gut-wrenching and heartbreaking. And that's when I realized, you know, this is a real problem. You know, there's so many types of racism, but you really don't hear a lot about racism in the workplace. But it's a very, very big problem. So that's when I realized God had a a different plan for me. And I wasn't going to let this destroy me. Um, But what I was going to do was pull myself out of corporate America and write a book that's inspired by true events with the help of my daughters that focuses on one woman's story, one woman's journey dealing with racism in the workplace. And, you know, as I told you, my book is called Hush Money, how one woman proved systemic racism in her workplace and kept her job. Oh, my goodness. Um, before we delve into your story, I'd like to hear um, how you define um, racism. Just to give like a, a racism 101 for folks who um, may or may not know or maybe new to this um, idea. Also because um, people are throwing racist, like you're racist, this is racist, out all the time. But how are you defining this in your work? So, you know, I I think it's safe to say, Jenea, that, 
you know, it, no matter who you are, no matter what color you are, no matter what background you come from, everyone does have biases. So I agree, you know, everyone has some sort of biases that they, they, they may have that are unconscious to them. Mm -hmm. But here's where the difference comes into play, and this is where racism comes into play. If you are someone who has these biases, but you're also a person who is in a position of power and influence, and you can take those biases that you have against a group of people, and you can create an environment and create policies that enforce those biases that you have to marginalize and oppress people, that's where racism comes into play. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it's like when you are uh, experiencing racism in the workplace. If you are working for a company and the people that are in this position of power and influence have these biases where they feel that they are superior to a specific group of people and they can take that workplace and build their policies and their environment around those those biases that then takes that group of people and treats them as subhumans or marginalizes them. That's my definition of racism. Mm, that's really helpful. Um, based on the work that I've done personally, and I keep my thumbprint on, uh, or I keep my thumb on what's happening right now in the States and abroad and blah, blah, blah. Um, and um, people get so deeply offended when they are called racist. Um, can you talk to that a little bit about um, what happens to a person when, as an um, as a representative of the global majority, um, when we we point out this is racist or you are being racist, um, what are we saying to an individual? And then also. Um, how should a person respond when they um, are being held accountable to their racist actions? So, you know, I'll tell you, um, you, you bring up a valid point. When, when someone is called a racist, you know, they, they immediately shut down and they immediately take offense to that notion. But, but really, anyone who is um, in an environment where, you know, they may not themselves be the one that's committing the racist act, but they see it happening and they choose to do nothing because it's not directly affecting them. Mm -hmm. Well, they are inadvertently helping the racist. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I have taken on the notion and, um, you know, this is something that comes from uh, uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Imbram Kendi. You know, he wrote mm -hmm. the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yes. You know, he, he says, and, and, and this is just perfect, you know, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to have your actions and your philosophies, you know, mirror such that if you see something that is wrong, 
you you have to say something. You have to do something. So, you know, saying that you're not racist isn't enough. You have to be an anti-racist, meaning that your actions and your thoughts and feelings about the environment that you are in, the activities that you are witnessing, is such that you speak up and you say something and you denounce those racist activities. And only then when you do that can you start to really break down, okay, what behaviors are unacceptable and what behaviors are not. And I think approaching it that way, you take the power from the the, the uh, phrase, I'm not a racist. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that um, right now in America that there is a lot of, um, like it's, it's the, it's the hot button issue. Um, and I've been abroad for three years now and I've, I've watched the, 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 the wave it's coming in and it's almost going now that people are kind of, they, they're, we're tired of talking about it. It's exhausting. Um, and I worry personally about what's going to happen when people are still in positions of power and they're tired of hearing about it. And like, what, what is going to happen? What do, what are you seeing right now? Well, I'll tell you. Um, one of the reasons it's a hot button topic is because, you know, I think not only in America but but around the world, you know, people became desensitized to the plight of the black person, mm. and you know, they really didn't want to hear about racism, you know, they, they, you know, they, when a black person would talk about racism, you know, um, a lot of people would respond that, you know, you're just playing the black card or mm-hmm. you're, you're hiding behind racism because you're lazy and your work is bad. Mm-hmm. But the blinders were taken off, uh, Jenea, when the world, and it wasn't just here in America, when the world witnessed the brutal killing of George Floyd by the racist cop, uh, Derek Chauvin. And so there was a new awakening, um, you know, something that just sparked around the world and people for, for the first time in a very long time, you know, started wondering about racism and, you know, is this really happening and we just didn't know about it? Mm -hmm. And, if this is happening in the police departments, you know, is it more widespread? Is there medical racism? You know, is there racism in the workplace? You know, what what other is there racial profiling? And and so people started asking questions. Thankfully, they did because it really provided an outlet for us to say, "This is what living." while black is like you are constantly walking while black you're eating while black you're shopping while black you're going to school while black you're working while black and living while black is absolutely exhausting because you are constantly under the watchful eye of racism but even still with a newfound uh, approach by so many who now want to know about racism, 
some people, uh, and I won't get into names, but in the political arena, decided to use that newfound uh, vigor and weaponize it. And when they weaponized it, they turned the plight of black people and their their cries for, you know, this is what racism is. How can we make positive change? And they turned it into a weapon, which emboldened the racists mm-hmm. and the white nationals. And so now what we're dealing with is we are dealing with, you know, Two people rising up, you've got people of color and black people, you know, trying to um, make positive changes based on what we have been experiencing for decades. But you also have an emboldened uh, white nationalist side who is set on keeping us marginalized and oppressed. And they're combating against each other. Mm-hmm. And it's created such a huge uh, divide that, you know, there are some people who don't want to hear about racism at all. But fortunately, Jenea, there's still a lot of people, white people, who understand that racism is wrong and who want to get a deeper understanding of what it's like living while black because they want to help. They just don't know how because they've never experienced it. And that's one of the reasons my book is doing so well right now. Um, I don't know if you recall, but my book just uh, uh, not even two weeks ago was awarded the 2021 gold medal uh, by Reader's Favorite because it won uh, in the International Book Awards contest uh, over books submitted by 12 countries. And and that's huge. It is. Yes, and my book is also number one on Goodreads Listopia for Best Eye-Opening African-American Women's Fiction. Uh, It's number nine on findthisbest.com for Best African-American Christian Fiction. And back in July, it was number 33 on Amazon's bestsellers list. You know, my book is performing very well because not only are people of color and black people buy my book because they see it as a survival guide. Mm. You know, it gives them hope that, you know, if there's one woman who was able to prove systemic racism and keep her job, I want to know what she did. And when they're reading it, if you have a chance to look at the reviews, they're saying this book is their survival guide. Mm. But I'm also getting a lot of reviews from white people who are saying, wow, my eyes were opened. Um, You know, some people write to me and tell me, you know, they started crying and the book was was very difficult for them to finish because they felt it for the first time. They stepped into the shoes of a racial discrimination victim and they saw and they felt the impact of racism, especially the racial trauma in a way that they didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And so now, because of that, you know, because they felt it as if it was happening to them or to someone close to them, they now have what they need to be allies and to work with us to make positive change. Oh, congratulations on the accolades. I think 
It's such a beautiful um, a middle part of your journey because whenever you do write a book and you're like, I don't even know if people are going to read this, and then people do, and it's impactful. Um, it's and it's shared, and it makes um, it validates people's stories. And I think that um, when when we share our stories of racial malarkey in, in all of its unique forms, wherever you may be. Um, around the world, um, because America is special in its racism, but it is not the only place that has it. Um, yeah, like we create um, a strong force that cannot be reckoned with, because all of us are talking about the same the same thing. Well, and I'll tell you, Janae, one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about shining a light on specifically uh, systemic racism in the workplace, because, you know, as you know, there are so many types of racism. Yes. Um, but like I said, you never really hear too much about uh, racism in the workplace. And I'll tell you, um, the racist people you know, that exhibit these racist behaviors in the workplace, Jenea, they actually gotten smart. Mm -hmm. And they have figured out a way to attack black people and people of color where they hurt in a more hidden, more covert way. So it is harder to prove. And so more and more people find themselves uh, being wrongfully terminated from their positions because they can't prove what happened to them. And, and you know, um, I'd like to just give you and your audience uh, just an example of what I feel is the difference between, you know, that overt, easily spotted racism mm -hmm. and the hidden, more covert racism that has now uh, become the new norm in corporate America. Oh, absolutely. Yes, do tell. Uh, okay, so what I'll do, uh, Jenea, is I'll take an example um, directly from my book, Hush Money. Mm -hmm. So Ebony is a, a young black woman who uh, was living in poverty. She was struggling financially. Um, but more than anything, Jenea, she really just wanted an opportunity to um, live the American dream which for her uh, was was more of a fantasy with, with no hope of becoming reality. Mm. And after years of working dead in jobs, she finally gets a job at a college. And she is super hopeful at this point that, you know, she's now going to be in a position where she can uh, live the American dream because this job at the college pays her $16 an hour, which is the most money she's ever made. And so when she starts at this college, you know, things are great from the beginning. Um, she impresses her boss, the chancellor of the college, Dr. Hall. And because she impresses him with the computer skills that she learned at a safe house for abused women, he buys out her contract with the temp agency and hires her permanently as the senior secretary of this college. So, you know, things are great in the beginning, but then uh, through a change of leadership and this great boss that she had is no longer there, this is when her problems with racism in this organization begin because he's replaced with the new chancellor, a woman who is just horrific. Mm. But 
even though she is now in a position where she is being abused and tormented and harassed and, you know, denigrated, she's a very smart woman and, and she succeeds. And after several years, uh, she gets promoted to a director management position. So this is where my example of uh, overt and covert racism uh, is going to come into play for your audience. Mm. This is a college. This college has multiple campuses, and at each campus, they have a director of student finance, okay? So if you have a director of student finance uh, position, Let's say you hire uh, a black person to do that job and a white person to do that job. And you hire both of these people because they have the same level of experience, they bring the same educational credentials to the table, um, and they have the same uh, levels of experience. But with the white person that you've hired as the director of student finance, you provide them with the training that is absolutely stellar. You provide them with the information that they need to do the job successfully. And you provide them with the tools and the resources that are vital and critical to uh, completing this position successfully. Now, the same trainer that trains the white person now comes in and trains the black person that's doing the same job, but they withhold the resources that mm. this person needs to do their job. They don't give them all the information, and in fact, they give them wrong information intentionally so that they are immediately set up to fail out of the gate. They withhold the tools that they need to do this job, and so because they set this person up to fail right out of the gate, when the person starts doing the job, they're doing it wrong because that's the way they were trained. Mm -hmm. But you, as the employer, are documenting that they're doing this job wrong, and you're using this documentation as the means to justify terminating them. Mm. Well, that gives you an example of the more covert, hidden racism. Because if you are the employee, you know that you have followed all of the information that you were trained on and that you were given, and yet they're telling you you're making all of these mistakes and now they fired you. You really have no way to prove that they trained you wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people find themselves uh, facing with. A lot of black people and people of color, they get set up this way in the workplace, and it's impossible to prove. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So that gives you an example of the covert type of, of racism that uh, working in the workplace has now morphed to. Now, once upon a time, it used to be more overt and easily spotted, where you could immediately prove, you know, what was happening, and I'll give you an example of that. So, same example, you're at college, you've hired two people to uh, do the director of student finance uh, position. You pay the white person uh, $55,000 a year, and then when that person is 
terminated or they leave that job, you hire a black person to replace them, but you pay the black person $35,000 a year to do the same job. Well, if the black person suspects that they're being underpaid and they file a complaint and an investigation ensues, it would be easy to prove by just simply looking at payroll records that, you know, this person, the black person is paid 20000 less than the white person. So that to me is an example of the easily proven, the, the overt racism because disparages, uh, disparages in pay um, is something that you could easily prove through payroll records. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think that um, I'm curious about your your thoughts on as a black person, and I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about this more as we delve more into your story, so you don't have to answer the question now, but I would like to know eventually. Um, as a black person, and you feel like this that something is wrong but you don't you don't want to play the race card yet you just were watching and seeing when is it appropriate to say okay i have i have enough data to say this is this is not okay so this is why it's so important um for people especially people of color to read my book hush money you know ebony learned early on, you know, that she was being targeted um, by racists and that they were working to derail her career. But because she was very smart and she, she tried initially to fight back using their own processes and policies that they had in place that said, you know, if you feel like you're being discriminated against, you know, speak up, let us know, we will investigate it, you can report it anonymously. And what Ebony realized is that that was just a bunch of baloney. Because when she followed their own policies, they didn't protect her. They actually put her in a position where she would be retaliated against, and it it made matters worse. Mm -hmm. So when someone feels like they are being um, wrongfully treated, don't wait until that starts happening to then try to react to it. Um, Ebony made a lot of mistakes, and, and the book goes into vivid detail about all the mistakes she made. But when she finally, finally understood, okay, I'm going to have to start protecting myself, she went from being in reactive mode to proactive mode. Mm -hmm. So what I tell people is if you are starting a new job right now or even if you are on a job um, that you've been on for a while and and you suspect that there's, um, there's, there's, bad things going on in the background that you can't see related to you and your career. Don't wait. Read my book and start creating weapons. Ebony created weapons that she could use to defend herself and defend her career. You know, if it turned out that her suspicions about this new boss that she had uh, now in her uh, third, fourth, and fifth years of employment uh, was a racist, which she suspected they were. Mm -hmm. And so 
my book goes into vivid detail about how she created these weapons. And I'm not going to go into uh, that level of detail here on the call today, but I will tell you this, Jenea. When your employer and the managers and your superiors in your job are coming at you because you are black or you are a person of color and they are targeting you, they will succeed in derailing your career unless, unless you fight back. So they're going to come at you with full force, guns blazing to take you down. And before you know it, you will join the thousands of black people who end up losing their careers and their jobs. Because like I said, they're going to come at you with guns blazing. But if you're smart like Ebony was, after she made all of her mistakes in that last battle that she showed up at, she didn't show up to this gunfight with a knife because you don't show up to a gunfight with a knife. She created weapons and weapons that were so powerful that when she showed up to this fight against this employer and against these managers who were killing her career, she showed up with a rocket launcher. Mm. And that's what my book, Hush Money, shows you how to do. There is a reason my book is spreading like wildfire through communities of color. There is a reason my book won the 2021 Reader's Favorite International Book Award contest receiving the, the gold medal out of books submitted by 12 countries. There is a reason there are 106 reviews on Amazon right now with a five-star rating for a book that I wrote from the pain that I was feeling and didn't know what to do with the book after I wrote it, so I started selling it from the trunk of my car mm-hmm. to people of color. There's a reason. So, if you are someone who is experiencing racism in the workplace, you know that you are being targeted and your career is at risk. My book is your survival guide to not only fight the battle, survive it, and hopefully keep your job because of it. Absolutely. Um,. What what was your process with writing your book? So you said that all of the trauma happened, and then we spoke before the call about um, you being in your your. I called it a cave. I don't know if you call it a cave or when you. And then um, out is this is the product of this. So can you talk about the the life journey that you don't necessarily write about, but the product is your book. So. You know, as I started out telling you and your listeners, um, my career was repeatedly derailed. And like I said, I was 52 years old uh, the last time uh, my career was derailed. And I was so traumatized uh, by my experiences that it it really did uh, nearly destroy me. I was seriously considering suicide because... It's really difficult to to live in a world where you are treated as a subhuman, you know, as some kind of mutant. Mm. And 
someone who thinks that because you are black, you do not deserve the position that you hold. Mm-hmm. And the last time it happened to me, it, it just broke me. And I went into hiding and, you know, I hid behind carefully edited pics of myself. You know, I engaged with the outside world through Facebook, but I, I had gained so much weight from the trauma. So, you know, most people wouldn't think that weight gain is a, is a big deal, but for me, it was a huge deal um, because um, in June of this year, I finally, you know, decided to see how much I had gained after I I took a picture, and it was a picture I couldn't edit because it was a picture needed for the promotion of my book. Mm. And when I saw that picture, it mortified me. And so uh, I jumped on the scale, and I realized that I was nearly 300 pounds. Mm -hmm. And... What made matters worse is, you know, not only was I severely obese, but I was, you know, I was and still am six feet tall. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you can blend in with everyone else. And being that tall and that big brought me a lot of, uh, a lot of hateful comments from just so many different um, areas. And with each hateful comment that I received, it pushed me further and further into the shadows so that I no longer felt comfortable being seen and would instead engage with people electronically, um, carefully doctoring pics of myself to make my appearance look more acceptable, Um, doing things like shopping at the grocery store in the wee hours of the morning Mm -hmm. um, to avoid being seen. Mm-hmm. And that was my life for a while. But then when I realized my children, my two girls that I love dearly, um, were now on that same ledge that I was on and they're crying and they're saying, you know, they're 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 targeting me. I don't know what to do and they're 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 pleading for help and they don't know what to do. Well, you know, Janaea, it's one thing when people come after you. But when they come after your children, mm-hmm. it's a whole different ballgame. Mm-hmm. And when they started coming after my girls, that's when I found my legs. Mm-hmm. And I came out of the shadows. I took the power that I had let these racist people keep over me by putting my big pictures on all over the internet and saying, this is who I have become because of racial trauma, because of racism. And then working with my girls to deal with their employers and helping my children. And when I started helping my children, all those people that I told you, I started reaching out to to find out about their stories. I started helping them too. And with each person that I helped, I, I got stronger and I got more courageous and I started to fight. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, um, I've been doing a lot of reading in my little disappearing phase of being over here in China. I've been reading um, books, like 98% of them are black authors and I'm doing that purposefully 
And the trend, the one of the major things in, in this reading journey that I'm on um, that I've gathered is that it's generational. So, like, I noticed as you were sharing your story that you, like, it was at your generation, but then you noticed that the perpetuation of racism was hitting the next one. And, yes. and you chose to say, I'm going to take my lessons and pass it on to the next generation so that they have the tools. Um, and so I, you know, I've noticed like the ones in the 1920s um, that were writers and, and thinkers and brilliant artists and blah, 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 they were directly influencing the civil rights movement that we know based on all the pictures and all like what we know collectively as a society. And then my generation is looking at those in the 60s and um, it, it's continuing and it's becoming stronger and stronger. So yes. as someone who is younger, I'm grateful that you didn't just keep this knowledge to yourself, that you're like, nope, this is for everybody. We're, we're going to share this. Absolutely. And like I said, you know, I, I, I worked with a lot of people and then we took one person's success story and we put it in our book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, just one other thing that I want to mention to you, um, my book right now, you know, I, I'm not in this to make a fortune. My book, and I'm going to say the title one more time, Hush Money, How One Woman Proved Systemic Racism in Her Workplace and Kept Her Job, is only $6, and that's in U.S. dollars, but it's $6 on Amazon. That's about what you pay for a cup of coffee. So, you know, again, if you are someone who is experiencing racial discrimination, you feel like your job is at risk, you're being targeted, go on Amazon, read the reviews. This is your survival guide, and it will cost you $6. If you are an employer who has done the traditional, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings, you know, that you do every year, but you still suspect that there's racism in your organization because your turnover rate of black employees or people of color is high, um, or people are still filing complaints of discrimination, and you want to be able to identify those more covert, hidden aspects of racism that I talked about, this is the book for you to get for your management teams and your leadership teams for, for two important reasons. Um, number one, you want them to be able to step into the shoes of a racial discrimination victim to see and feel it. But more importantly, you want your managers and your leaders who might be themselves doing some of that covert hidden racism that I tell you is very prevalent in corporate America, you want to show them the book that is spreading through uh, the black and brown communities and, and the, the strategies that our people are learning through my book, they're adopting and then they're coming back to their jobs in your organization and adopting these strategies, these unconventional methods, methods you wouldn't think of using in a million years, unbeknownst to the racist person in your organization and 
your organization may be the one at risk of being exposed because you don't know Mm -hmm. how many people on your staff have bought my book, they're reading it, and they're using these strategies against you. Mm -hmm. And then finally, you know, if you are someone who's never experienced racism, but you want to help, you want to be an ally, but you don't understand it because you've never been through it, this book, like I said, will put you in the shoes of a racial discrimination victim, and you will feel it, and you will see it as if it's happening to you or to someone very close to you, and your eyes will be opened, and you will be forever changed. I love it. And I will be sure to um, post how to find your book and all of the links and such on my website and also on Instagram so that, and Facebook so people can support you and find you. Yes. Oh, wonderful. That would be wonderful. Absolutely. Well, I ask this, these questions to the same, or I ask the same questions to every person that comes on this podcast. And, and you can choose to answer them in whichever way, but I would like to know um, what is it like to be black in Denver slash you live in Aurora? Um, and then also, what is it like to be a black woman or however you identify in 2021? Okay. So um, your first question, what is it like to be black in Denver? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I am a Colorado native. I was born and raised in Colorado Springs. Um, I have been to Denver countless times. I, I currently live in a suburb of Denver, which is Aurora. And I can tell you that Colorado as a whole is a, uh, it is not easy being black in Colorado. Um, and I'll just give you an example right from uh from uh, corporate America. It is very rare in Colorado to work for an organization that looks like the people that it represents. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, So it's not easy. Um, There's a lot of work to be done, but there are great organizations uh, here in Denver, uh, like Black Biz Colorado, for example, you know, that that really focuses on elevating the voice of Black-owned businesses Mm. and uh, supporting uh, buying from black businesses. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so that that's a wonderful uh, thing to have in a community, uh, you know, where uh, the people who are in those uh, positions of power and influence in the organizations, you know, don't have uh, leadership that, that uh, mirrors the black people or the people of color that they employ. Mm-hmm. And then uh, your second question, I I believe it was, uh, what is it like to be a black woman Mm -hmm. in uh, 2021? Yes. Um, Well, you know, it's not easy. Um, It's not easy simply because, you know, there's so many different types of, of racism. And, you know, for, for black women, you know, sometimes you're considered to be a, a double minority because not only are you black, but you are also a woman. And so you have to fight harder um, 
then maybe other people would have to fight um, to get to the same level. It's not impossible, but it is a, a difficult journey. Mm. Yes, it is. It is difficult. Um, can you share a bit about? So you shared a bit about the difficulty of it, but what? How do you see the the beauty of being a black woman right now, or the like the the stuff that makes you smile about your identity? Well, I'll tell you. Um, one of the things that helps me get through my day is. Um, just reflecting on who I am. I, I come from a long line of women full of, of courage, strength, and grace. Yeah. Um, you know, women who, even though they are going through adversity, you know, they, they find a reason to wake up in the morning and to give it their best. Mm. And, you know, I also believe that we as a people, we're, we're beautiful on the inside and on the out. And even though we've been through so much, it may, it may break us at time, but never permanently broken. Mm-hmm. It may hurt, but we do heal. And then we don't carry animosity. We actually continue to show up and to smile and to be uh, gracious. I'll give you just a quick example. Um, I received a very hateful message uh, the other day from someone who, um, you know, as I'm walking back to a healthier me, um, working to reclaim the life that racism stole from me, um, and working very hard to lose the weight, walking uh, three to five miles a day, which uh, back in June was almost uh, impossible at the weight that I was, but I've lost a significant amount of weight, and I'm able to push myself further. So when this person came at me the other day and, you know, said some of the most hateful things, uh, you know, I won't go into all the detail, but um, one of the things that sticks out is he he told me to stop talking about racism and quit eating, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. blank, blank, fast food because I'm an obese whale. You know, I could have let that break me and I could have responded uh, with that same level of hate that he was projecting onto me. Okay, um, do you have any last-minute thoughts or a message for black people, non-white people, and then also a message for white people? I know that all of all of this whole conversation has answered it, but do you have anything else you'd like to say specifically to non-white folks and white folks? Um, nothing more, uh, just to accept you one more time, just give you the name of my book, uh, Hush Money, How One Woman Proved Systemic Racism in Her Workplace and Kept Her Job. Um, like I said, it's $6 on Amazon right now. Uh, and even though Ebony was successful in proving the systemic racism and keeping her job, her problems with 
racism didn't end there. And so I'm actually in the process of writing the second book, which picks up right where book one left off. So you don't want to miss your opportunity uh, to read book one because book uh, two will be uh, dropping this fall. Mm. And, you know, it's part two of the story. Wonderful. And then um, do you... How can people, um, yes, read or read your book? Um, how else can are you looking for people to support you in your journey right now? So support you, hire you, send you love. Like, how else can folks um, give you? So yes. Okay. So um, to support me, you know, there's a, a variety of things that you can do. Um, if you can't afford to uh, spend six dollars on my book, that's the number one way. Because uh, as I mentioned, I am still uh, recovering and healing from my own racial uh, trauma, and so because of that. I have not gone back into corporate America, and $6 a book is how I am earning a living right now. Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest way that you can support me. Um, if you want to uh, follow me, you can follow me on Amazon. Um, you can also email me at Hush Money Series, and that's H-U-S-H-M-O-N-E-Y-S. E-R-I-E-S, so hushmoneyseries at gmail.com to share your stories about what you've been through, or if you just want to talk to me, I, I love talking to people, mm. and we can schedule a time on Skype or Zoom to have a conversation. Uh, I am also open to donations to my cause. I am fighting racism one book at a time, so if you want to donate to help me continue to to tell our stories, um, you can definitely email me and we can talk about uh, my uh, Cash App and Venmo and PayPal options. Uh, I do appreciate the support that I get from people. Uh, like I said, I'm doing something um, to benefit not only black people, but people of color and allies who want to help. Um, so any support that you can give that way is greatly appreciated. Oh, I love it. My last, last, last question. What do you feel people need to see in Denver and Aurora that makes you smile that you absolutely love? I know you're a newbie there. Yes. Actually, there is a place, um, and I, I've been there uh, several times. I took my children and my grandchildren there um, uh, a couple of months ago. It's the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. It so is good. the most spectacular museum ever. Mm -hmm. And it's got uh, probably about four different levels. It's just massive. But it is a place where you can just get lost in history. Ooh, yes. That's one of the places I would go as soon as I get, get out of this country. I'm going straight back to Denver <laughs> to enjoy. Wonderful. Well, I will be sure to um, post all of the links and the websites and all of the things um, on my platform um, so that folks can find you, support you, send you love. Um, thank okay. you so much for sharing your journey. Um, and yes. I don't know if it's appropriate to say good luck or best wishes or send you positive energy and vibes, but you get all of that from China to you. Yes. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll send you the link to my book. Um, you know, there are some people, I'll just tell you real quick, I, I have readers all over the world right now. Mm-hmm. I have readers in uh, New Zealand, in Canada, the United Kingdom, in uh, New uh, Egypt, Israel, uh, Nigeria, in Uganda, mm-hmm. and uh, there were a group of people in Canada who, who were doing a uh, book club, mm-hmm. and they all went out and bought the book Hush Money, and when they came together as their group, half of them had my book. But the other half had a hush money that talked about a murder mystery at a castle somewhere. Mm. You know, so you want to make sure that you have the right hush money. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll be learning about a, a murder mystery at a castle somewhere. <laughs> Perhaps not that one. <laughs> yes, we can support authors. And so maybe buy both, but definitely buy yours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay.
stay away from toxic people. Cut people off when you need to, when it's, it is not behooving of you. Go to therapy and take a nap. Bye.